We're in a series that we're calling Three Relationships, and we're looking at how when, the, when Jesus transforms us, that also transforms our relationship with God, but also with the church and with the world. Let me just give you a thumbnail sketch of where we've been in the series. We started a few weeks ago by looking at discipleship in general. And we said, rather than discipleship lifting you to a pedestal, discipleship's all about service. Jesus uses the analogy in Mark chapter 8. It's like picking up your cross and carrying it regularly. Well, if you are carrying a cross, you were going to die. That doesn't mean we all have to die every day. But what it does mean is we sacrifice our agenda, our priorities, our preferences for the priorities and benefits of others. We then had looked at two rhythms in our relationship with God. And even though the three relationships aren't exactly, exactly in order, we could say that our relationship with God is primary. That's the one where you get energy in order to transform the others. And the two rhythms that are absolutely essential in the life of a Christian is the rhythm of prayer and also the rhythm of Scripture. And we spent a week on each of those trying to just scratch the surface a little bit, understanding prayer, how we speak to God, understanding Scripture, how God speaks to us. And in that conversation of spiritual breathing, how God breathes into us new life that then gets lived out in our relationship to God, the church, and the world. Last week, we looked at him, our relationship with the church, community. And Josh helped us understand how community is described by bringing the paralyzed man to Jesus. He couldn't have gotten there on his own, but his friends come and Jesus brings healing to his life. Well, this morning, we're going to look at that third relationship, uh, the world, and we're going to look at engagement, how that happens. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. We're using Mark as kind of our well from which we're uh, drawing the content for the series. And I'm going to read this incident of a scandalous party that begins in 13. I got your attention, right? <laughs> Beginning in verse 13, let's read about this crazy party that most of us would probably have been shocked by if we would have heard about it in that context. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, uh, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. A scandalous party. Now, by the time we get to chapter 2, verse 13, you need to understand, Jesus has been out and about, rubbing shoulders, connecting with people that most people would not have expected. He calls fishermen to follow him in the first chapter. He goes out and sees people that are demonized. He calls the demons out of them and calls those people to change their lives. He calls people that are ill and struggling with, with illnesses of different kinds. He calls them to health and calls them to follow. 
So Jesus is rubbing shoulders, hanging out with people that most religious leaders would not have hung out with. Yeah, but that's nothing compared to the group of people he hangs out with beginning in verse 13. You see, Jesus calls lots of people you wouldn't expect those that don't have the right educational background, those that may not be in the right socioeconomic group, those that may not be religious, those that may not be of high moral standing, Jesus says, come, you can all follow me. But then he calls people that are absolutely shocking to be called. He goes to a tax collector's booth and he calls Levi, son of Alphaeus, he's also known as Matthew, he calls Matthew to come and follow him. Now, you know some people, right, that have jobs or some occupations are really on the wrong side of criticism most of the time. Uh, one of my shows I used to like to watch, Parking Wars, you ever say, I don't think it's on anymore. You used to see Parking Wars? I cannot think of a worse job than being a parking cop, right? I mean, your job is to give out tickets, to have cars booted or towed. People yell at you, scream at you, curse at you all day, every day. That's your job. Now, I have to tell you, I've gotten my share of parking tickets. I've even had my car towed before. And I had a few choice words for the parking cops when they came to do that. But you know, parking cops are nothing compared to tax collectors. Now that's true. And how excited are you are to hear that there are 87,000 new IRS agents coming all excited about that? Yeah, we still have that feeling, but in Jesus' day, it was actually worse than that. You see, tax collectors work, worked for the Roman government, and they collected taxes from the Jews who, in their mind, should have been liberated and free, but they had to pay tax to the Roman government, and a large part of the tax that they paid was used to oppress them and keep them down. Tax collectors were hated. In fact, tax collectors, collectors could not belong to a synagogue. Tax collectors' homes were designated on the map as being off limits. They were outcasts. Tax collectors never got invitations to parties. They never got tickets to the Eagles game. They didn't get anything. Never got a birthday card. They got yelled at, screamed at, just like parking cops, and they did it every day inside and out. Now, Matthew's tax collecting booth, just so you understand, was in between two two parts of the country. So whenever you cross a state line, even today, right, you pay a toll for that, right? So I had to go to Long Beach Island on Friday, and uh, Easy Pass has kind of caused the toll to be out of mind, right? But uh, in thinking back over my trip to LBI, I had to pay a Pennsylvania Turnpike toll. I had to pay a New Jersey Turnpike toll. There were tolls over concerning the bridges I went over. Every time you crossed a line, you had to pay a toll. And you know, I was thinking, this was a weird thought I had coming home. Ever realize how our weird language works? For example, you park in a driveway. You drive, right? You drive on a parkway. And you pay a toll on the freeway. I don't know who invented all this, right? But I, I don't know where I kept, but I was thinking about that coming home. Well, every time you transition from one part of the country to the other, you had to pay a toll. Matthew sat on the border between two little parts of the country. And whenever people had to cross, they had to pay a toll. And he was sitting in his booth, kind of like, you know, the way it used to be before Easy Pass. The guys would take your money. That was Matthew's job. 
Tax collectors were despised. Tax collectors were looked down on. Matthew was a tax collector. That was his job. That's a little bit of the scoop on tax collectors. Well, Jesus comes to the toll booth and he issues a shocking call. He walks up to Matt, and he's probably got the other disciples in tow, right? At least at this point we know he has Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and they're probably traveling together, and they have to pay the toll as they're crossing the line. And he doesn't just pay the toll. He says to Matthew, follow me. They're the same words Jesus used to call Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, look, being a fisherman, that's not at the high of the occupational chart, right? But it's a whole lot higher than being a tax collector. How in the world can Matthew get the same call? And you need to understand, you can read through the rest of the Gospels. Matthew is not called to sit in the back of the bus. Matthew is not called to be the servant of everybody else. Matthew is not called to, you know, shine their shoes and keep their clothes clean. Matthew is called to the same thing that Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the other disciples are called to. There's no second-class discipleship. He's called to the same stuff, and he's a tax collector. That's a shocking call. Can put put yourself in Matthew's shoes for just a minute? Um, Here's a little bit of the irony that sometimes we miss. Since Matthew was a tax collector working for the Romans, that means he worked for someone who was called the king of the Jews. And he was called to follow the one who is the king of the Jews. I'm not sure if he sorted all that out in the moment, but my guess is over the following months and years, he began to say, you know, I gave up following and working for the king of the Jews, and now I'm a disciple of the real king of the Jews. And here's something else you may have missed. In chapter 1, Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John from fishing to follow. But here's an important point. If this whole Jesus thing didn't work out, they could go back to fishing. Matthew abandons his post. There's no going back. The fishermen could still fish. When Matthew follows, this is a one-way ticket. And if this deal doesn't work out, he sunk. His life is now in the toilet. In a sense, his response is even more radical than the fishermen who drop their nets and follow. There's a shocking call. Not just a shocking call. There's then this crazy party that we read about. Did you see the party? It's a a scandalous, shocking, crazy, sinful party. You know what I like about the party? Matthew does what he knows how to do. Matthew doesn't know how to preach. Matthew's not going to start a church. Matthew's not going to start a small group. But Matthew can give parties. And he can give parties to some of his wretched tax collector friends. He's partied with these guys. And so now he's following Jesus and he says... Uh, What am I good at? I'm good at throwing parties. I'm good at inviting these people into my house. And I got an idea. I'll invite them in and I'll also invite Jesus and I'll invite the other disciples in and maybe my friends could rub shoulders with Jesus and the other disciples and maybe in that combination, something will happen in them the way it's happened in me. So Matthew does what he's good at. He's strong at doing that. He throws a party. What do you think of that party? He's just doing what's natural to him. He's celebrating. 
He's doing what he's good at. Well, while they're at the party, the religious heat come in, right? You've seen the religious heat before? They usually ask religious questions. Uh, Religious questions are usually backed up with lots of rules that usually begin with don't. And so you you don't have cocktail parties at a religious event, right? You don't get together with really sinful, creepy people that nobody's allowed to be around and celebrate this this new person you're following. You don't do that. Here's the religious question. The Pharisees come in, they look around. They see people that you shouldn't be associating with. They see tax collectors, they see sinners. And they say to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And as as often the case, Jesus overhears the question. So he makes his way over to the Pharisees, and he's not one to let an opportunity like this go by. And so uh, in my mind, crazy mind, um, I have Jesus walking up, and maybe he puts his arm around one or two of the Pharisees. And maybe he says something like this. You see that man over there? His marriage is a wreck. And he's distraught. You see that man over there? His life is a mess. You see that couple over there? Their kids are off the rails and they haven't slept a full night through in years. See that person over there? They're so riddled with fear that they're paralyzed and can't take a step. See those people over there? They're wondering financially how they're going to get through another day. See those people over there? No one knows yet, but they've been diagnosed with illnesses that are going to take their life. See all these people? And then in my mind's eye, Jesus says, so what should we do with these people? Should we condemn them and judge them and sit above them and criticize them? I mean, these are people that God loves. What what, what should we do? What are you going to do with them? And Jesus' answer is, I've come to heal them. That's why I'm here. They all need a doctor. They need a spiritual doctor, a relational doctor. They need a doctor that will connect them to God and to other people. They need a doctor that will bring wellness into their lives physically and a doctor that will bring relational wholeness. That's why I'm here. What are you going to do for them? I've come for people like that. Interestingly, rather than the Pharisees getting on board with that, they now have more ammunition against Jesus. They don't recognize these are people that God loves. They don't see their mission as coming alongside them, supporting, encouraging them, and helping them to access again and to have access to God and to other people. They see them as people to be condemned. They see them as people that are dirty, people that need to be judged and pushed out. And Jesus says, I see these people as people that need to be welcomed in. It's not a coincidence that this discussion happens at a meal, right? Matthew throws a party and there's eating at the party. Um, And here is an interesting metaphor. The Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' time, they took a table, the table, right, metaphor, the 
they took a table and they used the table to build walls between them and other people to keep them away. Jesus takes the same table and he's radically changing it and he's saying, no, no, no. The table that my father sets is a door that brings these people in. We need to be inviting these people, not pushing these people away. The shocking answer to their question. Well, here's what I want to do in our time remaining. Let me tease out a couple principles that come from, uh, come from the story. We kind of walked our way through the story. We've looked at this scandalous party and the crazy religious question that's asked. Jesus answered to the question, but what are some principles? Uh, here's the first one. Jesus calls us to a new priority. All right, now here's a question. How many of you have ever gone to dinner with someone or with a couple and they often have to leave in the middle of the dinner. They can't stay and finish. How many of you have ever gone out somewhere, but they have to drive, they can't go with you, just in case they're going to have to leave in the middle of it? How many of you have ever um, experienced where you're going out, maybe it's a celebration, there's going to be a toast, but this person can't participate in the toast? You ever met a per person like that? If you have, you know that that person is on call right? I have some friends that are physicians. I have a friend that's a pilot. I have some nurse friends. And if they're on call, they can't do those things. If they're on call, they can't have a toast, right? Because they're not allowed to drink within so many hours of it may make it called into work. And they got to drive separately because you never know when the phone's going to ring and you're going to get called in. And you, just, you need to stay close to home. You can't travel too far away because you're on call. You know, when Jesus calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and when he calls Levi, oh yeah, when he calls you and me, that means we're on call. You know, when you're on call, you're not in control anymore. If you're on call for the weekend at the hospital, if you're a first responder and the alarm goes off, you drop what you had planned and you go to fulfill your responsibility of being on call. We're on, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to be on call which you've got to be prepared. And there's some things you need to stay away from and other things you need to participate in because you're on call. You're not in control of your life anymore if you're on call. Your priorities change. Everything is different if you're on call. You know, I sometimes uh, need to be reminded of that because uh, sometimes when you feel like God's calling you to do this or you get prompted to do that, it, my thought is something, well, Lord, th this is like my life here. And so like, okay, I'll say yes. No, no, no. That decision was made a long time ago, right? That decision is when you accept the call, you're now on call. You got new priorities. You're no longer in control. But it's not just new priorities. You're also called to a new proximity. And here's one of the big changes that's happening here. Now, we all know an awful lot about contagious diseases because we've lived through a couple years of COVID, right? That's a real important lesson for you to know in understanding this passage. Now, you know, because of contagions, we need to, do, we need to take, take certain precautions, right? And so in the midst of COVID, when it was running rampant, you had to wear a mask and you had to wear gloves and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that. Lots of rules and regulations because you may be contaminated. I, I Googled this week. Uh, just for your benefit, 
Do you know some of the most filthy objects and things that we come in contact every day with? Your phone. It's disgustingly infected, right? The remote control to your TV. The shopping cart. The steering wheel of your car that you sneeze all over, right? Um, Lots of things. Well, if you've got that picture of someone being contagious and you need to take precautions to stay away from them, you may be contaminated. That's what the religious leaders thought sin was like. If you get too close to someone like a tax collector, you may get what they got. And before you know it, you're going to be living a life like them and you'll be ostracized. They'll throw you out of the synagogue. Just like you can be contaminated with a disease, the religious leaders, the Pharisees taught, you could be contaminated by sin. That's why they were kept far away. That's why their houses were circled and mapped. Don't go there. That's why they weren't allowed to go to synagogue. That's why when they paid their tolls, they stayed far away. They threw the coins into the basket, right? You can catch it if you get too close. Is that how Jesus deals with people? And check out the first two chapters of Mark. Is that how he does? Remember in chapter one, a a leper comes. Now, a leper was one of those that actually had the physical um, illness that was contagious. Really interesting uh, thing there it says. Before Jesus healed him, he touched him. That was illegal. Someone who was healthy could not touch someone who was a leper Jesus said, come here, let me hug you before I heal you. Imagine what that must have felt like to that leper. Depending on how long he's had that illness, he had not had human touch from the day of his diagnosis to the day that Jesus touched him. What's Jesus doing? Is Jesus just breaking the law to flaunt the law? No, no, no. Jesus is radically transitioning. Jesus is changing um, our understanding of sin from something that's contagious to people that we need a connection with. We need to connect. Um, So let me give you the biblical storyline. Throughout the Old Testament, if the clean came in contact with the unclean, always work this way, the clean became unclean. So if someone was unclean or someone was contagious and someone who was healthy and not affected, all of a sudden the clean became unclean. Until Jesus. Jesus shows up and he reverses the contagious formula. And Jesus says, no, no, no. When the unclean come in contact with me, the perfectly clean, the unclean, become clean. That's a reversal, right? That's why this story is included in the chapter that says, um, you can't sew new cloth onto old cloth because when a new cloth shrinks, it'll make a bigger hole than before. You can't put new wine in old wineskins because as the new wine ferments, it'll break the wineskins. What Jesus is saying, you can't put me and this gospel into the old categories of religion. Contagious is different now. It used to be when the unclean came in contact with the clean, the clean became unclean. But now those that are unclean can become clean when they come in contact with me. That's a radically different perspective on proximity, isn't it? You know, we live in a world where 
people love to um, draw lines. Do this, don't do that. Don't go to these places. Don't hang out with those people. And don't misunderstand me. The Bible does say bad company corrupts good morals. You need to figure out with wisdom how you can engage with people without getting infected. But I do know this. The only way for people to get infected with the gospel is to get close and connected with people that are clean by the gospel. And that's part of the proximity call that Jesus has to us. He calls us to a new priority and a new proximity. Did you hear Julio in the video? We as followers of Jesus, we as disciples of Jesus, need to be living in relationship, in contact, in connection with people that don't follow Jesus yet. You know, years ago, I heard um, uh, kind of a mentor of mine say something that ticked me off at first, but... You know, the more I've lived this Christian life, I think he was right. Here's what he said, and don't walk out. Here's what he said. If a follower of Jesus does not have non-Christian friends, they are sinning. I think that that's absolutely right. You see... The proximity formula of the gospel is when the unclean come in contact with those that have been made clean, the gospel influence reverses the old paradigm and the unclean be can become clean. Now, we need to guard right our own hearts and maybe you can do some things that I may not be able to do and I may be able to do some things you can't do. But overall, we need to recognize the proximity of the gospel reverses the religious proximity. It's no longer that sin and people that are far from God, it, it's, not that they are can, it's not that they have illness that we can catch. We have the gospel that they can catch. And it's living in that connection and in that community. Well, there's another uh, newness, a new perspective. Now, here, here's what I mean by uh, perspective. It changes kind of how we think. So if we fly over this uh, account of Matthew at you know, 20,000, and not as high as the balloon, 20,000 feet instead of six. And we fly over there. Um, here are a few things that you discover. Based on what we've read this far in Mark, and based on this particular story, Jesus is opening the door to everyone. No one's excluded. Lepers aren't excluded. Fishermen aren't excluded. People that are demonized are not excluded. People that are ill aren't excluded. Even tax collectors aren't excluded. Everybody can come. No one's off limits. Boy, that's a radical new perspective concerning where the religious leaders have been and, let's be honest, where lots of religious people are today. This gospel is open to everybody. The key is not changing your performance the key is not climbing on the righteousness treadmill and trying to get the RPMs real high. The key isn't trying real hard to live a perfect life and then bringing your little per perfect life to God to see if he'll... No, no, no. The key is following Jesus. That's the key. The key is not fixing your life and then coming to Jesus. The key is you come to Jesus. Now, in order to come to Jesus, just like we read in the story, you have to admit you need a doctor. And you've got to understand when Jesus answers the question, when he says, well, I haven't come to call the healthy. 
He's not saying that the religious leaders are healthy. He's saying this, until you acknowledge that you're blind, you're going to stay blind. And until you acknowledge you're ill, you're going to stay ill. And until you acknowledge you've got a problem, you're going to keep the problem. Once you acknowledge the problem, once you acknowledge your illness, once you acknowledge you're blind, then you can go to seek help and be changed. And so Jesus is saying, you know, you religious leaders, you don't even know you're sick yet. It's obvious that these people are sick. I've come to heal sick people. And maybe one day, guys, maybe one day you'll admit you've got a terminal problem too. And I'll be here, I'll be here to heal you too when you come to that. This is open to everybody. You got to admit, you got the problem, and you got to follow Jesus, the only solution. Transformation, change follows the following. It doesn't precede the following. Religion's all about be changed, right? Fix yourself, turn over a new leaf, then follow. No, no, no. Christianity's no, you follow, and then you get power on the inside and power on the outside to make the change. You follow, and then you change. Transformation follows following. It doesn't precede following. I don't know what a story like this uh, does to you, for you, with you. I need to read Matthew and Jesus' interactions with people in the Gospels regularly because um, the easiest thing in the world for us to do is to hang out with people that are just like us, right? You hang out with people that are basically your educational level. Hang out with people in your socioeconomic level. You hang out with people that like the sports you like or don't like the sports you like. You hang out with people that have lots of affinity with you. But when you read the Gospels, Jesus is always breaking down those barriers and he's saying, no, 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 we need to connect with people that are different than us. We need to be proximate, to be close with people that aren't followers yet and allow that reversed proximity to work. Now, not only does it take proximity, it also takes courage. You know, Jesus and his disciples just didn't hang out and have a good time. Jesus came showing them that they need a physician and then offering to be their physician. Proximity and the courage to share the gospel and the story that Jesus brings. Jesus includes us in this. It's pretty amazing to think, isn't it? As far as we were, and sometimes still are from him, he says follow. But part of the following is being in proximity to those that aren't followers yet so that we can live out the reversal of the gospel in their lives for God's honor. Let's stand as we pray. Father, we admit that uh, there are lots of stories in the scripture that don't really fit our understanding, don't fit the way we think things should go. And maybe this is one of them. We find Jesus hanging out with people that we don't think he should hang out with and that we wouldn't hang out with. Lord, I pray that that new priority and that new proximity and that new perspective wouldn't just be things that we think about. May they be things that we live, knowing that we're on call to live out the reversal. And as we do that, to live according to the gospel perspective. We pray in, we pray in Jesus' name, who makes these things and many others realities in our lives. May they be realities in our church.
We pray in Christ's name. Amen.